Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, it looks like we're back on the air here on Seth and Sean Sports Radio. Sorry about that. Seth is about to join in a couple of minutes, and then we'll yep, get back I'm, on the air. I'm here. And I'm here, here he is. You see, I, I am able to log on from my phone. I tried it, and it worked. So here I am sitting in an Uber cab with uh, <laughs> my great driver who was listening to uh, sports radio just a couple of moments ago. And here he is. He's going to listen to a little bit of sports radio, courtesy of the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. So, anyway, hi, Seth. Merry Christmas to the Jolly Jews. Uh, Merry Christmas to the Jolly Jews. Sorry about that, everybody. Oh, yeah. uh, on this slightly cold uh, day in Hoboken. Um, a lot to go over. I don't know. Uh, starting, we, we have, geez, we, we have the second part of the bowl season, although we, we really haven't been there. We haven't been too many bowls of interest yet. I'll talk a little Craig Sager. I, I want to start with before we even get into the NFL I want to start with a trend that started this week for the first time that I can remember where you have players Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey who are sitting out the bowl games in order to start preparing for the NFL draft Fournette most likely a top 10 pick McCaffrey on the first the border of the first and second round um Stanford is playing North Carolina on, I believe, Christmas Day. Uh, LSU is, and I'm just trying to do this, as I said, I'm doing this off the top of my head right now. I forget off the top of my head who LSU is playing, but I'll have it shortly. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on this. You know, yeah, we've I never really seen this before. Yeah, I don't have a problem with what they're doing whatsoever. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem if they sat out the entire season. This is what happens in college football is college football is basically a minor league system that is being paid for or minor league players that are not getting paid. So I don't have a problem at all if these guys want to take their talents to South Florida or wherever they're going. But the fact of the matter is, it's one more game that they can get injured. If you're looking at a Jalen Smith from Notre Dame who tore three ligaments and suffered nerve damage in his knee because he played in a bowl game, and he does, and Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette have so much tread on their tires to begin with, I don't have a problem at all if they, stop, if they don't want to play a bowl game. I don't have a problem if they don't want to play their sophomore season. If they have the talent to make it at the level, of the NFL, it's not going to matter one more game. But I'll tell you one thing, if they tear their knee up, that's going to be a million-dollar loss. Look, I mean, even Willis McGahee, who, who went on to have a great career in the NFL and earned millions of dollars, he lost millions, and I mean millions of dollars. He would have been a top-five pick 
and he dropped down to 21 because of an injury that he suffered in an inconsequential bowl game. There are okay. Let's let's actually stop right there for a second. There's 40 bowl games, and I I actually agree with you. However, let's change this a little. Let's modify this a little bit. Let's say instead of the Sun Bowl or the whatever other other bowl, this was part of the college football playoff. This is doesn't matter. uh, So this he this is Deshaun Watson deciding he doesn't want to play in the in the in the where it's not an exhibition. You know, this is for a national championship. Does he have a responsibility to the university, to himself, to his his teammates, to anybody? Does that change? That doesn't change okay. anything to you. Okay, so the only responsibility that he has is to his teammates. He certainly doesn't have a responsibility to a coach. Because the coach leaves no responsibility to him. So the coach can up and leave without a problem at any time that he wants. And these kids who were promised playing time, promised uh, a varsity letter, even to the point of they may not play for the next coach, are left holding the bag because a Jim Harbaugh wants to leave Stanford or any other less miles wants to leave. You can go on and on and on with the coaches that have left players in the lurch. I don't have a problem at all with a player saying, I want to protect my interests. If this is a national championship game, you know what might actually happen? What might actually happen is it might get noticed. Yeah, Leonard Fournette's going to get noticed. It's a blip on the radar. It really is. Christian McCafferty, a blip on the radar. It'll happen. National championship game, I kind of doubt it because of the pressure that these players are under. But if a player wanted to come out and say, you know what, it's just not worth it to me. Yeah, he'll be ostracized a little bit. He might be looked down a little bit upon by the NFL. But that's a big, that's a smaller risk to me than it is tearing up your knee. You may drop two or three spots because one coach says, you know what, I didn't like the fact they didn't play in the bowl game. But if he tears up that knee, he can be dropping rounds, not spots. I don't have a problem at all with with a Deshaun Watson if he wanted to drop out of a bowl game. Or my, or, or Miles. I can't remember the guy's name. The, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M. Miles Garrett. I do agree with you. I, I hope it's not a trend. Um, these, the Bulls are paying the teams a lot of, you know, paying the teams, paying the conferences a lot of money. And I understand, you know, and I, look, we enjoy watching football, both of us do. And we, you know, we want to see the best players available. And I understand, I understand for the Bulls, I'm not happy about it, but I get it. I, I don't I would be I would be shocked if for a college if someone if this was someone in one of the one of the four teams in the playoff if this happened. The pressure the pressure from between the teammates and the, between his teammates, the university, the media would be overwhelming. Uh in my mind. It would pro- and it would be a very difficult Seth, I totally agree with that. But you said something about two minutes ago that made all the sense in the world. Who makes the money? 
the money yeah, isn't the made part. by the I player. Understand. As I said, I understand it. I don't like it, but I understand it. Um, the, and again, these are lesser bowls. I, I wonder. If, I would. I, I truly hope it's not a trend that continues. I hope it's a trend we never see at the champion in one of in the college football playoff, which I think. Well, would be you know who doesn't want. Well, you know who doesn't want that more than anything? The college bowls. Of well, if not. the college bowls, well, if the college bowls want to change it. There's one way to do it. Pay the players. Totally different discussion. But yes, I understand. Um, are, if we're talking, are you going to? Are the bowls going to play the players? Are the teams going to play the players? Is the NCAA going to play the players? You know. It, that, that, that's delving into a very different situation discussion and a discussion for another for another time. Uh, have you watched any bowl games yet this year? Absolutely not. Uh, it, it's pretty emphatic. Look, I'm I'm not a college football fan. We know that. I mean, at its heart, I'll watch the playoffs because the playoffs are interesting to me. They actually are, but. If you're looking at it from a scope of, and we talked about this last week, if I'm thumbing through the channels and there happens to be a college football game on, I might turn it on. But the fact is I've been incredibly busy running a toy drive, and to me that totally takes priority over a football game between Appalachian State and Montana State. Nothing takes priority over Appalachian State versus whatever the hell school you just came up with. But I understand your point. You want to talk a little bit about the toy drive? You might as well, you might as well give some publicity oh, yeah. to it. Well, yeah. I mean, look, my, my company, IPC Systems, thank you very much, Seth. Uh, IPC Systems, we run a toy drive to, uh, to benefit inner city schools. And one in Jersey City in particular, the Julia A. Barnes School, uh, elementary school. You know what? It's great stuff. And, uh, we're very happy to do what we can with our toy drive. We generally uh, throw out today. We wrapped 525 gifts to give out tomorrow morning. Uh, I am happy to be present at the gift giving. I dress up like an elf. It's a little funny, but tights and all. But at the end of the day, it's as I say to everybody that gives me money, it's for the kids. And there are very few things that I would not do in an effort to uh, promote or help this toy drive along in order to get kids to smile at this holiday season when they may not have. Uh, I am a very fortunate person. Seth is a very fortunate person. Most of the people out there are very fortunate people in which we are not wondering where uh, our gift and or our children's gifts are coming from on Christmas morning. Uh, These children, along with millions of children out there um, are not in the same situation. And if you can help out a child, if you can help out a family in this holiday season, look, I, I don't celebrate Christmas, but it's the giving season. It doesn't really matter. So if you are in that opportunity and you can help out anybody in this holiday season, I implore you to do such. I implore for you to look in the mirror and see how absolutely fortunate you are and how much of a difference you can make on the lives of a child 
or a family that just doesn't have what you have. So that's my two cents, and thank you very much for giving me that platform. With that in mind, we can segue over somebody that loved life more than he obviously loved style, and that would be one Craig Sager. Um, One of those voices that you get used to after a while and just forget you, you just assume he's there. You forget that he ever wasn't there. And it's, I mean, look, TNT had a heavy heart last week in which they announced the passing uh, from a rare form of leukemia of, of Craig Sager. And, look, there are people that you, that you can say, yeah, they're really good at their job. I don't know anybody that was a better sideline reporter than Craig Sager in any sport. And he was not just a sideline reporter. If you know that, if you've seen Hank Aaron run around third base after hitting that ball off of Al Downing for number 715, that guy that interviewed Hank Aaron at home plate, well, yeah, that was Craig Sager. So he didn't just do the sidelines. He was on the field too. Seth, uh, he's one of those guys, right? I mean, he's he's one of those guys that – when you, when you think of when you think of the best side line reporters in any sport, um, you know he he's always at the top of the list. Um, he's one of the few, one of the very few sideline reporters get a bum rap or, or not well respected. I don't think by athletes, and in a lot of times by fans, because it, it's thought of that a lot of times what they're getting, the information they're getting. Yeah, is not particularly pertinent or interesting or anything. They're not adding to. They're not adding to anything. The one thing about Sager was, yet yes, he 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 had a style about him, one that neither Sean nor myself could ever dream of matching. But, um, you know, when you were inter- when you were interviewed by Craig Sager, it was a stepping stone for players where, kind of the I made it step um you could see this you, you could see the respect that you know poured to him over the last couple of years from everybody from the coaches like greg popovich who he had a famously interesting relationship with to say the least to lebron james giving him a lot of a lot of love uh, after game six of, of the of the nba finals last year Stephen curry to dwayne wade all these players you know, took a step back and really offered a great deal of adoration and respect for him, uh, which is really unheard of to an announcer. Uh, when, when we think of the great announcers that we've seen over the years that that have died, a Pat Summerall, uh, you know, there, there's a you know a Chick Hearn, there's a, you know, there's a million, very few of them have earned the respect that a Craig Sager did do at his position. I don't think there's anyone. Um, and, you know, while it was tragic and although apparent, you know, it was seemingly inevitable, it was a bit stunning. And I'm sure while not, uh, it, was, it was just, I don't think gratifying is the right word, but hopefully the family took some solace in seeing you know, this was a man who was truly not only loved by his family, but loved by fans and 
you know, and NBA players around, and basketball players around the world, or people. In yeah, the, the thing that you, yeah, the thing that you can take from Sager is, look, he he created, and his family and and fans created the word Sager strong. I've never seen, heard, or anything of the like somebody take on a disease with the fervor that he did. And by fervor, I don't mean passion. I mean humor. From all reports, he never lost his humor. He always said, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to try harder. Let's do the next bone marrow transplant. Three bone marrow transplants. Most people don't even get through two. They are extremely painful. And he did three. So, yeah, he's one of those guys that you, that you wanted to see on TNT. You wanted to hear him. You wanted to see the outfit. Kevin Garnett wanted to burn the outfit. Chris Paul, Chris Paul thought it was Easter. Phil Jackson thought he was the good humor guy. And on and on and on. But, yeah, he's, he's just one of those guys that you look forward to and you look forward to seeing. In another note, in another passing last week, uh, NHL fan extraordinaire who once bought part of, was part of the group that bought the L.A. Kings, Alan Thick. I didn't know that. Passed away. Yeah, well, he was part of the Bruce McNall group. Okay, back in the that, early 90s. That, right, that bought Wayne Gretzky over to the L.A. Kings because Alan Thick was from Canada always wanted Wayne Gretzky work with McNall and whatnot. And the only reason I know this is I read a, uh, a Wayne Gretzky biography at one point. So the fact is it's interesting because there are always those people that you grow up and my brothers and I once had this, this conversation, which are the shows that you actually grew up with. And there were defined characteristics as only the Palmer boys would come up with these, these rules around this game. The rules were the, and Seth, I will ask you the same question once I define the rules. Rule number okay. one, the show had to last more than five years. Okay? Rule okay. number two, it had to have children in it. And rule number three, those children had to grow up roughly around the same time period, so they had to be roughly the same ages as we were during the show. So you grew up, you went to high school with the, when they went to high school. You went to elementary school when they went to elementary school, so on and so forth. Could it be two or three years difference? Absolutely. But it, it roughly had to be the same. And we came up with three or four shows that, that epitomize that. I'm wondering whether you can guess what those three or four shows are. Obviously, Alan Thicke and Growing Pains was one of them. would be one. I would probably say something like Who's the Boss would be another. That would be number two. Okay. May, uh, Saved by the Bell. That would be number three. We actually came up with five. I'm sorry. We came up with five. Okay. Let me think here. So we're talking kind of mid-80s, late-80s. 
I don't. Well, remember, I, it could be in, it could be in the nineties if they were in a different part of our lives. Well, you were, we weren't okay. So there would be high school and the kids. So it was something like Family Matters, almost. No, so Family Matters was younger than us at that time. Okay. So we were older than Family Matters. Okay. How about Married with Children? No, Married with Children. They never really grew up. That's fair. Think about this a little bit. Cosby. So the other two are not, the other two are not easy. You you got the easy ones. The other okay. two are not so easy. So I'm guessing Cosby's not an answer either. Cosby Cosby or, was actually too early, and the kids were too old. Even the even the three or four even the the youngest well, one, no, the, Rudy. It, well, maybe Rudy would maybe Abraham Rudy, the goldfish. Well, maybe Rudy, but we weren't re- – remember, Rudy didn't do very much on the show except smile. Okay. Um, let me think here. So, uh, Would you like a hint? Probably, yes, please. Okay, so in one of the shows, they lived in California. Just the ten of us? In the nope. In the other show, they had a couple of uncles. I'm assuming one show is Full Houseman. That is one show. Oh God. Um, okay, that actually could fit both shows, but I guess that's the uncles. The California. Mm-hmm. It seems like a TGIF kind of show. Um, I have no idea. I don't know. The other show was Beverly Hills 90210. Ah, I should have known that. Okay, let's see that. That was a that was a beautiful person show. Yeah, that, but that we was still never... grew up. We still had the same things go on. It may not have been the Corvette. But it was the drunk driving conversation. It may not have been the pregnancy in Baja, but it was the pregnancy conversation in Roslyn, New York. The conversations, the ways that that people grew up, the ages and the and the Jim Walsh concept of the father figure were very similar to our time. That's where we made it out to be. So good job getting three out of five. That that was well done. Sixty percent in this test gets you you pass the bar, and I don't mean the one with the shots. But Alan Thick was was that guy, right? He, I mean, I, I I hate to admit it, but once I found out he passed away, first of all, it was very sudden. Uh, playing hockey with his son Connor. Uh, secondly. I couldn't stop singing the Growing Pain song for about 20 minutes. And then I watched The Return of the Seavers oh, no. on YouTube. Oh, yes. Is that when she ran for Congress or something no, like that? No, she ran for Congress. She ran for I Congress. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it when Maggie ran for Congress. Yep. An hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> 
But he, he I mean, was he was the he was the equivalent for for I believe the next generation after Cliff Huxtable and Michael Keaton in Family Ties. And people bring up Family Ties for that um, for that answer Keaton, of that Mike, question. Michael, not Michael Keaton, Michael Gross. But uh, Michael Gross, excuse me. It was Alex P. Keaton. Sorry. The, the fact is, for for Michael Gross and Family Ties, um, no, his name was Mike in the show, Mike Keaton. I was I, that show was before me. Um, right, that's the point. That show was right. before us. That was the point. So anyway, so but look, Jason Seaver, and by the way, do you know why their name was Seaver? Was it named after Tom? It was because the family lived on Long Island. The producers were Mets fans, and the next-door neighbor's last name was Kuzman. You're kidding. Not kidding at all. That's funny. Yeah, I thought so. But anyway, it, it's a shit. I, I, I listened to Growing Pains and couldn't get it out of my head for probably, I don't know, two or three days. And uh was one of those guys you always like to see on the air in whatever he was doing, Fuller House or whatnot. So uh, another tie to sports that uh, will be missed. And, you know, 2016 has lost a lot of good people. And uh, let's turn the page soon, shall we? Can't wait. Um, and we'll, do, we'll talk about that in our year of, in review next week. Although I'm not sure what day we're going to do because usually that's not usually that's not a 60 minute show. Um, so Sean and I will get back to you on, on on whatever day we decide to do it. On to I guess I guess now going back to reverting back to sports, and we'll talk a little NFL. I guess we have to talk. Uh, well, we're up for Super Bowl. We're 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 up for the dynasty uh, next week this weekend. Uh, we we win the fantasy football semi despite. Subpar games from our uh, our stud Steelers. <sighs> Got a tough matchup coming up, Sean. Look, ladies and gentlemen, Seth is always more worried than I am, and he was throughout this this game as well. Now, granted, he was watching it a little bit more closely, and I was relying on faith. But we do have an injury with Vontae's Perfect, who sat out today. It's a good th- By the way, we did get Savage for 38. But it is a good thing we left $2 over just in case we have to make a claim on Saturday morning. That'd be true. So I think, we'll, I think we're going to win this. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I, I, I really am. I think we're going to take home the hardware, and maybe Mr. Isles will pay us. <laughs> <laughs> So this would be, and uh, for those of you who've been listening to the show over the years, Sean and I have uh, partnered in, in in the Bate Isles, who works for Serious Sports, has been on the show countless times, and is a good friend of ours. To probably to his dismay, uh, we've been in the league four years. Our first year was not very good. Uh, our second year, we made the championship game. True. Our second year was our best team. Um, and unfortunately, due to the Jay Cutler benching, uh, we lost that, won the championship with ease last year, 
and are in a pretty in a, in a much more competitive year this year. But we are still probably the betting favorite to win uh, this weekend, which would give us two out of three years, which makes us a pretty close to a dynasty. Do we get to make, wait, a, roll, make a roll? two out of three? Wait, 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 not two out of three. That's two consecutive years. Two consecutive and we lost in the final the year before. We're the, we're the Miami Dolphins in the seven, from 72 to 74. I'm just if we saying, can pull it off. two consecutive sounds a lot more than the two out of three, because that means that we probably lost beforehand. And, and uh, I like to say we're the Detroit Pistons. We slowly make an ascension, and then we, the, we wheel off two straight. Or, who knows, we might be the Michaels Bulls, where we slowly make an ascension, and then we win six out of nine. And, and that's fine, not bad, too. But not, not, a bad, not a bad way to go. No, the unfortunate thing about this entire fantasy season, the unfortunate thing, and we can play taps anytime you want, Seth, is that Mr. Isles' team will not be meeting us in the finals. The best taps, I think, team, works well. The best regular season team this year cratered to a 30-point loss because the new start, uh, new start, dun, what you got? new sauce, no sauce, no sauce, whoever yeah, their name sauce. is, had, had, had the guile to bet $50 on Ty Montgomery to put up 31 <laughs> points. Now, that's no Le'Veon Bell. Ladies and gentlemen, no Le'Veon Bell, but 31 was a big score, and Nabate gets knocked out. And you know, there is there are sad things in this world. Not seeing Nabate Isles in the finals, not so sad. I'm not, okay with that. Not really one of them. Not really one of them. No. no. Now, Nabate, <laughs> if you'd like to call up and defend your choices, seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. We're happy to discuss this a little bit further. But other than that, I just want to drop the mic and say, yeah, we're better than you. Anyway, moving on. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. The gauntlet has been thrown. Uh, you know, the thing anyway. is, that I don't think it's a gauntlet. I think somebody, I think the people in our league need to follow the roadmap that we have laid. Seriously, I don't think it's a problem. We, we have laid a very good roadmap when it comes time for our fantasy league. And part of it is not spending a lot of money on quarterbacks. And the team that we're playing, they spent a lot of money on Drew Brees, but their only other quarterback is Alex Smith, who I am – oh, I'm sorry, they have Geno Smith too. That doesn't really help. I'm happy that Alex Smith. I'm happy that Alex Smith is playing Denver this week, which makes it even better that we picked up Tom Savage. So yeah, I got nothing. Anyway, on to the actual, uh, <laughs> the actual sport. The Giants impressive, uh, 17-6 win. It's an improved running game over Detroit in, rainy, in a rainy um, East Rutherford. 
New England, pretty, for all intents and purposes, confirms that, that the AFC East for the, and the AFC for the umpteenth straight year is going to run through Foxborough. Kansas City really blows a huge opportunity against Tennessee, who I think now everyone is rooting for uh, to, to win that division between the, the underachieving of Indianapolis and Houston, who replaced their $72 million quarterback with a guy who couldn't, who barely started at Rutgers. Um, you know, what are your thoughts kind of looking back on week 15 of the NFL season? Oh, weekend, week 15 of the NFL season did exactly what you just suggested in that it defined the AFC and the pecking order there too. The Raiders came back and beat San Diego, but that was certainly no easy task. New England solidified themselves as the best team in that, unfortunately, the best team in that conference. And I watched most of the Giant game. I didn't see that great of a team. I just saw a team that could beat Detroit. Do you think they really played that much better? I actually, most Giant fans that I I, I spoke to all kind of felt the same thing. The defense was very solid. What we've been waiting for is some version of an offensive line to hold up. The scoring wasn't there. Uh, Beckham dropped it, quite a touchdown, but dropped probably dropped a touchdown. But they ran the ball for over for over a hundred yards, which is important. And they gave Woo-hoo! Eli time. And Eli, hey, look, we take what we can get. Uh, Justin Pugh coming back really kind of solidified the line, which has been horrendous the last couple. Do I look at this team and see a championship caliber team? No. But I'll be honest, I didn't see one in 2007 or 2011 either. So it's a team that I don't think anyone would want to play. You know, and I, when I look down the line, you know, and you look at that, quite that most likely that 4-5 game, Green Bay, Green Bay, New York, that is a heavy duty. I'm assuming Green Bay will come back in the way that they are playing currently. They're a game behind Detroit, but they will be playing Detroit, I believe, in the last game of the season. Um, I believe, you know, I believe Green Bay will win that division, and that is that is a heavyweight matchup for the Giants team, who's most likely going to end up with a better record than every other per- team in the conference, other than the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you know, the Redskins really threw themselves under the bus Monday night. I think I think the Giants have a reason to feel confident. I don't look at them as a great team or as a as a, as a legitimate Super Bowl contender in most years, but they've beaten Dallas twice. So you have to, even though it's very difficult to beat a team three times, as you know, they certainly have no reason to not be confident going into that game. Seattle has been inconsistent. Green Bay has been inconsistent. I mean, does Atlanta or Detroit really scare you? So I don't know what to make of the NFC. I find it very mediocre this year. And as a Giants fan who, look, our last three years have not been very good, it's gratifying to see us back at least in a solid playoff team, which I think you would concede that point as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's always good to be in the playoffs. I mean, I don't even know what the playoffs look like. So Playoffs? You're talking about playoffs? I, I'm not talking about playoffs. That's <laughs> the problem. My team doesn't talk about playoffs. We talk about golf courses at this point. 
So, and right now I'm watching Syracuse down to St. John's, 33 to 18. So, I mean, my, my after losing to Georgetown on Saturday, th- this season sucks. Can 2016 just end, please? I mean, this is killing me. My basketball. You made the final. You made the final four. Let's let's look at the positive. Your college football team has a has a legitimate coach. Where it looks like there's some some upswing. You don't think Babers is a legitimate coach? No, I think Babers is in another stepping stone job where he'll go for two, three years, get the offense (laughs) cooking, and then leave like every other coach does. And guess what? The players can't leave with him. So. All right. Well, this gets us back to our original post of today. If Jolly St. Nick was to bring Seth Kamen's The Jolly Jew, three wishes, and these are not, these are not uh, genie wishes, but let's say three wishes for sports. Or, yeah, three wishes for sports. And we'll go through our New Year's resolutions too, which we'll go through our individual teams, but those are more resolutions. These are wishes. What would you like to have under your tree besides the national championship for Maryland that are kind of realistic? For my team? Okay, so when I look, when I look at my te- the teams that I root for, obviously Maryland and the Giants and the Yankees and to a degree the Nets, um, and then I've a big U.S. I like to see U.S. soccer. You know, U.S. soccer has been on a downswing for three or four years. I'm sure that they will make they will make the World Cup. Although they're off to an off to an awful start in. I like in qualif in finals qualifying. I'd like to see them become the team that they were that they were five or five six years ago, and not this cluster beep that Klinsman has put in. I'd like to see DJ Durkin bring it, you know, his brought in a top 12 class to Maryland. I'd like to see them take the next step other than being a six and six bowl team to an eight and four or nine and three team. You said as a, as a pragmatic, you know, yep. Maryland basketball is in a pretty good place right now. Um, we're nine and one this year, pretty much with one stud and, and a bunch of freshmen. And we have a couple more freshmen coming in. Uh, I guess I would hope for, uh, there's they have one they have one spot left for recruiting. I would hope I you know I hope they get one of the top. They have three guys that they're going after pretty hard. I hope they get one of those. Um, I like Kenny Atkinson, the coach of the Nets, <laughs> to wish him a happy New Year because I'll tell you that team plays hard, and I watch more Nets games because, as some of you know, my wife is not the world's biggest sports fan. By world's biggest, I'm saying pretty much the antithesis of me, with the one exception being the Nets. So this year, because of Little Dude, we've uh, I, we watched a little bit more basketball, and every time we watched the Nets, they have really been competitive, beating the Spurs, losing to the Clippers in over, or beating the Clippers, losing to the Spurs by in overtime. And the team has no talent. But they play really hard, so I kind of wish for them to get a little bit more talent, which I don't see happening next year, um, and going and taking the next step from there. So I guess those would be the three that I'm okay. doing. 
Well, that's like 12 wishes. So, okay, let's yeah, go. Yeah, well, all right. Yeah. Okay, so three wishes. And and three wishes. And as they say in Joe pa- for Joe Pesci in My Cousin Vinny, and only three wishes would be the Islanders to escape the Barclays Center somehow. No idea now. But please, for for the love of God, escape the Barclays Center. For health for the New York Mets pitchers. Because if the New York Mets pitchers are healthy in 2017, they have a World Series rotation. Now, I don't think you can find anybody in baseball that if you said that each of the Mets' top five pitchers got 30 starts, or even 25 starts apiece, that they would not be in the playoffs. I don't think you could find a person that wouldn't say that with 25 starts. And for the third wish, and this is a big one, please, for the love of God, Baseball Writers Association, elect Tim Raines. Please. (laughs) You know I've been beating this drum for years. But Tim Raines is as good, if not better, than Tony Gwynn, who sailed in to the sailed in to the Hall of Fame. So the only thing that Tony Gwynn did better, and the only thing that Tim Raines did better, was take a walk. But if you look at their their on base percentage, they are almost identical. That's my third wish, and I really don't have anything more to say on Tim Raines other than we're going to find out in a couple of weeks. And if I would be very upset if he does not make it this year, and he should make it. I mean, he's he's gotten to that point where he should be an automatic at this point. He should have been an automatic the day he retired, but that's another conversation for another time. Okay, so UFC is coming back to fight next week. And Ronda Rousey's on the card. Does this make this fight or the UFC, and I have not followed the UFC since probably Ronda Rousey left, any more or less enjoyable, entertaining, interesting, other than the fact that she's a name? Well, she's a little bit more than a name at this point. She is a phenomenon. And there really are only two phenomenons, phenomenons in the UFC at this point. The UFC has had a horrendous year. Um, two names that, are, that come to the mind, obviously, are Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey, who hasn't fought in over a year, and Conor McGregor, who currently holds two championships, and is beloved or and is just it's just a beloved or hated talking smack to, to Floyd Mayweather. You know, he he's a publicity hound. Call it what you will. Rousey, for whatever reason, and it's interesting because I don't think she exudes charisma, but she is just it may it's a good card on on the thirtieth in Vegas. 
But the reality is it does seem in my mind that the sport has peaked. Because, you, you know, you've never been a U, you've never really been a UFC fan. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, it's not a, a huge UFC fan. How about any UFC fan? Well, I didn't no, say I said UFC. I didn't say I didn't say huge. So oh, okay. if I gave you if I gave you names other than if if I went down the list of the champions in the UFC, I would my guess is you would have heard of three of them. You would know Ronda Rousey. Yes. You would know Conor McGregor. Yes. And you would know probably John Jones. Yeah, I know Randy not, Coutier. He's not the champion. Okay, I know uh, whatever her first name is, Heather Holm, the person that beat Rousey. Holly Holm, okay. Holly Holm, but, but that's just because she's gorgeous. Um, <laughs> oh, look, I mean, isn't that part of the deal with Rousey to begin with? She's good looking. Yeah. So, I mean, and I know the um, the person that was the roommate, the judo girl, that was the roommate of Rousey in the Olympics. The one who just, Layla Harrison, the one who just decided to join the UFC? Yeah. But she hasn't fought yet. Yes, I know her. She hasn't fought okay. yet. Well, that's and a, she's that, not a champion. That, and that's kind of my, well, she never fought in the UFC. So that's kind of my point. Right. It, you know, it was a sport that was a niche that really jumped up. It kind of reminds me of what NASCAR was about 10 years ago, where it was in a solid and then just went straight up. And then after a two or three year peak, just kind of, kind of went back down. And that's my feeling. And as someone who watches the UFC and I do, I enjoy it. And I know most, and I know the fighters, but between, you know, the fight for the union that George St. Pierre is trying to put together and the consistent injuries in the really lack of a breakout star other than McGregor, uh, you know, if Rousey, you know, Rousey having lost her last fight over a year ago, John Jones really hasn't fought in a couple of years. The, number, the consensus number one pound-for-pound pound fighter is a guy named Demetrius Johnson. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, no. Exactly my point. He fights at 135, 125 pounds, excuse me. He's incredible to watch, but has no, has no broad appeal. You know, Dominic Cruz is the 135 champion. An amazing story. Come back from three torn ACLs. He fights, actually, he's the, the, the number two fight on the Rousey card. People don't, unless you follow the sport, nobody knows him. Uh, Daniel Cormier is the 205 champion, where John Jones beat him, but John Jones has been in legal Wait, trouble. Wait, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Okay. Cormier. Yeah. Cormier, because you probably, okay. So... You know, Cormier is not, does not fight a particularly interesting style to watch. Point is, a lot of these sports, it seems, you know, this sport, which still dominates boxing, and there was, and I'll talk about boxing in the last five minutes, you know, it just never hit its appeal. You know, it hit its appeal, it peaked, and I think it's on a downward slope. You know, for, I think that the Farida brothers who owned it sold pretty much got out at the right time. Now, of course, when you walk away with $4 billion, getting away, getting away at the right time is a relative term. But, so, you know, so to me, it's, I'm not going to watch it. Uh, I don't, you know, if I had a bunch of friends, it's the kind of sport that if I had a bunch of friends who watched it, I would get a pizza and some beer 
and happily throw in 20 bucks for a pay-per-view, but to sit around, you know, by myself and pay $70 to watch this by, it, it's not interesting enough for me. Okay. That's fair. So what's going on in boxing? Because I don't, I haven't heard word one about anything. And well, I'll talk, well, I guess we had a, we're there. So go ahead. What's going on yeah. in boxing? All right. So there is two major retirements in sports this week. Uh, one, or this weekend, actually. Both combat sports. One in the UFC, a guy named Uriah Faber, uh, who was the one of the greatest champions in the WEC, which was one of the predecessors, the UFC, which the UFC eventually bought out. He was probably the greatest fighter to never win a UFC belt although he fought for it three times. Uh, he won his last fight in Sacramento. Beloved in the industry, or had a huge fan base, and just fought a very fr- fan-friendly style, very likable. And, you know, time for, you know, he went out gracefully. On the other hand, you had Bernard Hopkins, who at age 52. Oh. There you go. At age 52, maybe decided this was he was going to have one last fight and fought a guy named Joe Smith from Long Island. Now, Bernard Hopkins, in 25 years of fighting, had never been knocked out. Had never been, really never been knocked down that I can even think of. Maybe one flash knockdown. Fought Sergei Kovalev, who's number one light heavyweight, or two, depending on your opinion on the Andre Ward fight in the world. And though he lost at age 50, uh, never... You know, was never seriously, seriously injured. A man who defended the middleweight title for umpteenth many years, you know, underappreciated, underestimated, went up to light heavyweight, won that title over at Antonio Tarver, took on everybody. The antithesis of what boxing is now, which is why boxing has become such a small sport in the whole realm of things. So his last fight was Saturday night in Vegas against Joe Smith and he was doing okay and then in the eighth round he was losing probably by about one or two rounds and in the eighth round got knocked through the ropes a la Rocky a la Joe Lewis by Rocky Marciano in his firewall fight and you know hit his head on the floor sprained his ankle was unable to continue and while the Joe Smith who's had kind of a phenomenal year as it's coming from nowhere and beating two top ten, um, you know, two top ten fighters, and then went back to his construction job this, the following week. Uh, not really, and then to see to see Hopkins say, "Well, this wasn't it wasn't legit." He pushed me out of the ring. This that it was things that you didn't want to see from Hopkins that you weren't surprised to because he was such a prideful fighter, and the Bernard Hopkins of even ten years ago would have taken this guy to school, but at age 52, time catches up to everyone. So, you know, luckily he came out with everything, you know, with his senses intact and he'll, you know, he runs Golden Boy or he's a partner in Golden Boy. So, you know, both him and Faber are going to have extraordinarily successful post-fighting careers and I wish them the best on that. Yeah, it, so I saw the knockdown of Bernard Hopkins and that, let's not go off that too quickly because... It was one of those times where I was five when Will, Willie Mays couldn't run down a ball in the 1973 World Series. And people had told me this for years, 
you need to see it, you need to see it, you need to see it. I said, why would I need to see it? Willie Mays is the greatest player ever, greatest player in history, all-around player in history, can make the claim. Certainly the greatest living player at this time. And perhaps even when Joe DiMaggio was alive, still the greatest player living. And I went and looked. And it's interesting because I don't, that's the only memory I have of him now. And that's unfortunate. Seth, is that the only memory that you will have of Bernard Hopkins or the lasting memory is him going through that rope? Because unfortunately, that's the last memory you'll probably see of him in a ring. It's not because of what, because he, unlike, unlike Floyd Mayweather, unlike so many of fighters of this generation, fought every fought the best and fought them in their primes. To me, when I think of Hopkins, it'll be him beating uh, Felix Trinidad to win the mid in a shocking upset to win the middleweight title. Him knocking out Bernard, uh, Oscar De La Hoya with a one a one punch liver shot. You know, for a guy who's you know him. That's how I will remember Bernard Hopkins. Uh, this doesn't okay. take away anything in that regard. Fair enough. Okay, so we got about 30 seconds left. We want to, again, remind you that next week we'll have our, um, have our year in review. It will probably be either Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll keep you abreast on Facebook and on Twitter. For Seth Kamins, this is Sean Palmer, BackSportsPage.com, and Blog, Blog Talk Radio. And have a Merry Christmas, everybody, from the Jolly Jews. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Have a good one, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.